Thank you so much for, for joining us in worship on this Palm Sunday. What a beautiful morning. Thank you, everyone that's here. Thank you, everyone upstairs. Uh, thank you for watching uh, Home Online. Uh, it's Palm Sunday, and I think that worship was, was pretty amazing. I want to thank you all, but there was something missing. I, those of us that are a little bit more old school, maybe you missed some of the old hymns that we would sing on Palm Sunday. Remember, the children would, would march in, and they'd wave palms, and we'd sing some of the old hymns, Rob. We didn't have any of the old hymns. So, and so this morning, uh, and this is for real, I put a poll out there on Facebook to ask the congregation, yes or no, would you like to uh, hear Pastor Pete sing one verse of a classic Palm Sunday uh, hymn? Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm checking right now in the booth, and the, the poll results are coming in. And uh, it looks like by, by a nose, 100% of you want me to sing. Really? Well, 100, so. Here we go. <laughs> Rob, can I have a G, please? Uh, a little lower. <laughs> a little higher, I need a different G. One more time. There. Okay. All glory, Lord, and honor to thee, Redeemer King, to whom the lips of children made sweet Hosanna sing. Thou art the King of Israel, thou David's royal son, who in the Lord's name comes, the King, the Blessed One. Now that is an, that is an absolutely beautiful hymn, and, and I did not do it justice. And, but it is a Palm Sunday hymn that I hope that you will look up on, on, on YouTube and hear it sung well uh, to the glory of God. Written in 820 AD, by the way. It's Palm Sunday, a glorious day, the, the celebration of, of Jesus coming in to the city of Jerusalem. Friends, I think we get Palm Sunday. Even if you haven't studied scripture, if you haven't been in Sunday school for a long time, you get Palm Sunday. I'll tell you why in just a moment. He comes in, the triumphant one, and people start to sing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of David, the son of David. And they, they lay down their, their cloaks and their jackets. They cut branches and they lay them down as, as he processes in on, on a donkey. And he comes into the city. And then the first thing he does is he goes to his father's house. He goes to the temple and he clears it out of the money changers. Think about our study in Revelation to this point of what's been happening these past few weeks about justice, about setting things right, about destroying idolatry, about setting our hearts first and foremost and always on the Lord, on loving and, and having zeal for the Lord and not on, on money and power. That's the first thing that Jesus does on Palm Sunday. Now we get Palm Sunday, and I'll tell you why, because this, the, the word that we sing out is Hosanna. Can you say that? Hosanna, that's right. Hosanna means, oh, save. It's an exclamation. It means, 
oh, save or, or, or help. See why we get that today? Isn't that what we're, we're crying out? That's what we're crying out this past Thursday night. Oh, Lord, save, help. In the midst of all the uncertainty of this pandemic and all the things in our life that are being turned upside down and, and all the, the losses that we're experiencing, the, the loss of life, the, the loss of, of income, the loss of jobs, the loss of, of just a, the normalcy of our everyday life. People are, are, are losing things, already saying there won't be a graduation. There won't be that celebration. And they've canceled the NBA. They don't know if they'll bring back Major League Baseball. Everything's turning upside down. And, and Lori just reminded me, today would have been the day when you would have arrived in Mexico on our Mexico mission trip and arrived into the village in Mexicali to love on those brothers and sisters in Christ down there and to receive their love. That was supposed to be today. The things are being canceled left and right. You know, one of the other things that, that I'm noticing as a pastor are all kinds of celebrations and gatherings at church, not the least of which are weddings. You know, until I came to Maple Valley, I've done, I, I calculated about 50 weddings, maybe give or take a few, 50 weddings. I've been here two years, not a single wedding. Bodwell, where's Bodwell? He keeps doing all the weddings. Or Mark Fisher. But I finally landed two weddings this summer. And now those are in question. The invitations have gone out. The re response CV play, RSVPs have probably been coming in, but now there is great uncertainty about the weddings that are planned out. Well, I have good news for you, my friends. In today's text, we're going to see that there is a wedding invitation that has already been sent. It has your name on it. And all you have to do is RSVP, RSVP and respond. RSVP. Hey, R-E-S-P-C-T. Find out what it means to me. <laughs> RSVP. All you have to do is respond and be ready. We can have a little fun, can't we? Sure we can. Turn with me. Uh, if you have your Bible, it'll be on the screen to Revelation chapter 19. That's where we're, we're picking up again in, this, in our study of the book of Revelation. And it says this. After this, I heard what, what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of, of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. 
Let us exalt, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we're back in the book of Revelation. And John is caught up into heaven and sees a scene of the most amazing party there ever was. I've been to a lot of weddings. I've officiated, as I said, about 50 of them. And there have been some really, really nice ones. I always try to sit at the table with the co-workers because that's the fun table. It's usually near the back, back corner with the co-workers. And what always happens is the mother of, of the bride or groom says, oh, Pastor Pete, come up here. No, we've, we've got a special table for you right here in a seat of honor right in front of, of the dais. And, and who's at that table? It's always the angry step aunt who uh, was a Christian and no longer is a church. And then some distant second cousin who has questions about theology. That's what I get stuck with. That is not, not my idea of a party. John gets to see a party. Now, for you that are studying a revelation with us long term, you'll know that there are repeated scenes throughout the book of Revelation. And I've likened it to an instant replay from a different angle. So on your own, go back and look at Revelation 7 and 11 and then this passage in chapter 19 and see how it might be the same event from a different perspective. This is a future event that we're seeing here, an event that hasn't happened. Now, which word is repeated throughout this passage? What's the key word that really stands out and it happens in this passage four times? Did you catch it? Underline the word hallelujah. Let's say it together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's a, a, a Greek translation of, of the Hebrew Hallelujah. Halle means praise, and Yah is sort of a shortened version of God's holy covenant name, Yahweh. Yah. Almost like a, with great, with the grace of respect, almost like a nickname. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. He sees it and hears it four times in this passage. And did you know, with all, think of all the songs that we sing, we just sang one. That that, song, that that word is featured. But did you know that in all of the Bible, the only place in the New Testament that that word hallelujah appears is right here in Revelation chapter 19, verse 1 to 10. The only place in all of the New Testament. Now there's, now there's plenty of times hallelujah is heard in the Old Testament and the Hebrew scriptures. And it's all over the place in the Hebrew scriptures, but only here in Revelation. Now, now catch this. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, of all the references to hallelujah, the greatest density 
the hot spot too soon, the hot, the, the most full location of the word hallelujah is in the book of Psalms, Psalm 113 to 118. Write that down, Psalm 113 to 118. And these are known as the Halle Psalms because it says hallelujah over and over again. And, and these were the Psalms that would be sung during Passover, during the celebration of Passover. Psalms 113 to, and 114, they would be sung before the meal, before the Seder meal. And then Psalms 115 to 118 would be sung after the meal after everyone had had uh, their, their fill. Again, a little Bible note. Check out Psalm 136. It's known as the Halle, the Halle Psalm. Even though in the Talmud, even though there's not the word hallelujah, uh, it's a reference to 26 of God's divine acts of kindness. And each phrase says, his love endures forever, over and over again. So, are you with me? This word only appears here in Revelation. It's all throughout the Old Testament, but it's concentrated in the very psalms that would be sung at the time of the Passover. Let me read to you this passage, Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. So there's, there's Palm Sunday. Jesus comes in, he clears the temple, and he's now in the city. And things are starting to get uh, real because the money changers in the temple are upset, they tell the authorities, the authorities are upset. They tell the high priests and the religious leaders, they're upset. Everyone's getting upset. Jesus continues to teach, and then he celebrates the Passover, the Seder meal. Listen to this passage from Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they celebrate, they celebrate the, the Lord's Supper, the first time Jesus uh, institutes the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of his body and blood uh, given for us. And that says they go out after they had sung him. Maybe here's one of those. I'll, short, I'll just read a short one. Psalm 117. And no, I won't read it. Even though, even though Rob said something about not judging us for our singing, uh, I'll just read this one. Psalm 117 says, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Whenever you see praise the Lord, that's what the word is. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love, his hesed love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So imagine Jesus leading the disciples in singing praises to his father, who is the God not just of the Jews, but the God of, of all peoples, of all nations. And then it says that they go out to the Mount of Olives. The hallelujah Psalms praise God for something very specific. The context of which is the Passover. It is the deliverance out of Egypt. It is their deliverance out of that evil empire. So why would it show up here in chapter 19? Well, last week we looked at chapter 17 and 18, where John sees future events of the fall of Babylon. Babylon representing all the evil empire that, that, that disobeys God, that rejects God, and abuses and, and takes advantage of God's people. He sees what's going to happen, that Babylon will fall. The ultimate evil empire will fall, and God will deliver finally his people from all peoples and nations and tribes out from under Babylon, and he will bring his new heaven and earth. Do you see the correlation? 
Then John sees here that celebration and all they sing over and over again, the angels, the, the, the risen saints and, and, the, and, and the, um, the 24 elders, they sing hallelujah, hallelujah. Now look again at your texts. Who are they singing to? What are the attributes or the, the actions that they're giving God thanks for? Look at verse 1. They're giving thanks to our God of salvation and glory and power. Verse 1. Verse 2, whose judgments are true and just. They're, they're, they're giving praise and saying hallelujah to the one who vindicates his servants and avenges their blood. Remember, that was the, the prayers of the saints who were martyrs, who had given their lives and had died for the sake of believing in Jesus. And here it says there's, there's a, a, their blood is being avenged, which is a whole other study that we can do of understanding God's justice and righteousness. Verse 5, who is the God of the great and small people? Isn't that great? God is, is the God, it says, of small and great of, of big people over six feet tall and everyone else. <laughs> of people with, with all kinds of money and resources. And here it says, and, and people that in, in this world and in this life, it just seems like everything's passing them by. He's a God of, of everyone. Verse six, the God who, who reigns sovereign over all things, all circumstances, who arranged, uh, verse seven, from eternity past for the wedding of his son. And that's where we're getting to, the wedding of his son, uh, who invites countless people to come, sinners saved by grace. And who finally, number seven, who clothed his, his bride, the church, the symbol of fine linens. It says, the, the angel says clearly to John, these are the righteous deeds of God's people. This is the celebration. And you've been invited and all you have to do is respond and be ready. That's all you got to do. You have to respond and be ready. RSVP and be ready. Let me show you what I mean by that. Look again at verse 7. And I want you to, to notice a couple things. And, and I'm going to read it again. And then we'll go back over it. It says, let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for or because. Why? Why should we give God all this praise? Why should we say hallelujah for? The marriage of the lamb has come. It's the date. Here it is. And his bride has made herself ready. Remember the symbolism throughout Revelation. What's the symbol of, of the bride? It is the church. Verse 8. It was granted, granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And now verse 9. The angel said to me, Write this, blessed, underline blessed. This is the fourth of seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Four times John's uh, commanded to write the word blessed. This is the fourth one. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He says you are blessed. Now go back to verse 7. We're going to underline rejoice and exalt. Do you see that there? Rejoice and exalt. And the other translation of that Greek, exalt, is actually be glad. So it could actually be rejoice and be glad. And did you know the only other place in the New Testament where the phrase rejoice and be glad is repeated is in the Sermon on the Mount, in the eighth beatitude. I'll read this to you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. 
And Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Isn't that exactly what we've been seeing, friends, in the study of Revelation? Isn't this why I've been telling you over and over again that this isn't a crystal ball? It's not some uh, future uh, telling code. It's a very practical manual for discipleship. How do I hold on to my faith when I'm being pushed around and being threatened and, and the world's pulling my affections away from Jesus? He says here, blessed are you when you're insulted and persecuted. And then he says, Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and exalt because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's saying exactly what we see here in the book of Revelation. He's saying rejoice that you're, you're getting pushed around. Rejoice that for my sake people are dragging your name through the mud because you have the invitation to the wedding. The wedding of all time. You know, when I have uh, a special time before a wedding uh, with a wedding party, I get to check in. And I spend most of the time with the guys because, you know, the ladies are getting ready. And uh, so I hang out with the guys. And there's always a lot of joking around. And uh, one of the things I've heard uh, said at times, it was said in my wedding, and, and I thought, ah, for the sake of a joke, maybe, but the context of what we're saying, this beautiful uh, moment that's going to happen, maybe not so much. Uh, just before we go out, someone will often say, hey, to the, to the groom, are you sure? Uh-huh. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? We've got a car waiting for you. Like a joke, right? It's a joke. But what is the joke? Being tempted to leave your love. Being tempted that there's something better. There's something more out there. That's the temptation for a wedding, for a groom, for a bride. That's the temptation. Jesus says, blessed are you. Rejoice, exalt, be glad. Your invitation is set. All you need to do is respond and be ready. And so throughout the Old Testament, this idea of, of God's kingdom arriving is used in the context of a feast. All over the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see this. We see in the book of Revelation, there isn't anything new. It's just these great truths spoken in a new way. I'll give you an example. Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Now, that's my kind of wedding. <laughs> a big old aged steak USA prime? And a nice glass of wine? Is that okay to say? That's what God promises 700 years before Jesus is born. So throughout the Old Testament, the arrival of God's kingdom, the new heavens and new earth, are likened to a feast, a celebration, and an invitation. Now, Jesus, is it okay if I keep preaching? Are we good? Are you guys, are you still watching? Are you still paying attention? Preach, brother. You, stop, stop texting. You need to get a cup of coffee? We'll wait for you. Come on back, because this is good stuff here. Listen to this. Jesus continues this line, and he's preparing his people right at the end, right near the end. He's preparing them. Look at this. Check this out, okay? We have time to read this, don't we? Matthew 22. Okay, so we had, in chapter 21, we had 
the entry into the sea. We have Palm Sunday. We have the clearing of the temple. We have various teachings. This is right near the end. So you got to think Jesus really wants to drive home the most important things to his people, right? So what's he say? Look at Matthew 21 or 22. He gives a parable of a wedding feast. He says, he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a feast for his son, a wedding feast. Do you see that there? Look at, look at that. Chapter 22, verse 2. And when he sent his servants to call those who were invited to his son's wedding, they would not come. They would not RSVP. Verse, verse 4. Again, he sent out his servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my, my dinner, my oxen, my fat uh, calves. They've been slaughtered. Everything's ready. The wine's ready. That aged meats are ready. Isaiah 25, it's ready. Come to the wedding feast. Look at verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the, while the rest, now that's bad enough. The rest, it says, they, they seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. See, this parable is pretty, the, the meaning is pretty much on the nose, isn't it? This invitation, they're rejected, they're ignored, and then even those servants who are, are making the announcement, it says that they were grabbed and they were killed. Verse 7, the king was angry, so he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. What's the name of that city? Babylon. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. But those who were invited were what? Not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. Isn't that great? What's the measurement? What's the measurement of how worthy they are to come? The other ones weren't worthy. What's he saying here? Bad and good, small and great. So what's the measure? Nothing about them. It's all about the king's grace to invite them, invite all these people. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. It was filled. And then it goes on and it talks about the king arrives and the celebration is happening. Now, one of the guests wasn't ready, though. He wasn't dressed appropriately. He wasn't wearing the appropriate attire for the event. Because he wasn't ready. The king has him thrown out. Do you see how Jesus prepares us for this very lesson? And all we need to do is we need to respond and we need to be ready to respond to the one who loves us. The seven churches that received those letters, what was the driving theme throughout those letters that we looked at in chapter 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation? These letters that Jesus wants dictated from him to an angel, from an angel to John to send out, or from, from him to John to the angel of each of those churches, I should say. What was the driving theme? Return, return, return. RSVP, be ready. Come back to your love. The first church is Ephesus. They were orthodox. They had their act together. They were wealthy. But what does Jesus hold against them? He says, Ephesus, you have forgotten your first love. 
He's got a big church. He's got all kinds of influence and wealth. But I hold this against you. You have forgotten your first love. You've forgotten Matthew 22, verses 37 and 40. Right after this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The first and great commandment. And the second one, by extension, to love your neighbor as yourself. Ephesus, you've, you've lost it. What's the seventh letter to Laodicea? And what was their problem? Lukewarm? Too busy? Dull spiritually? Oh, no, they, they had responded to the invitation because they were a church after all, but they weren't ready. And what's Jesus' response to them? Does he blow them away with anger? No, it says he comes. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If you, if you open the door, I will come in to you and I will eat with you. These are our words from the Song of Solomon. These are words of love, a lover coming to take his bride that he's losing to a harlot. He's losing to another who will never deliver. Are you getting this? This is the message of the book of Revelation. You've got to respond and you've got to be ready. And that includes our worship. You know, with this live stream, there's so many different options for you on a Sunday morning. You can just flip on anything, any channel you want. But you want to worship God. Even John gets a little tripped up, doesn't he? By the wonder and the flashiness and the brightness of everything. It says in verse 10 that he starts worshiping one of the angels, right? And the angel's like, what are you doing? No, no, no. Oh, stop it. Worship God. That's part about being ready. Now, this is very interesting. God in, in, invites us by his grace. And he makes us ready by his grace. But we also have to act. Let's look again at that text in, 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 uh, in our study. It says uh, in verse 8, it says, It was granted to her to be clothed in this way. Granted by whom? By God. God. God gave her the grace. God provided this for her. But what is it that's provided? What, what is the reaction? It's righteous deeds of the saints. So there's this interesting interplay. Are you picking up this interplay? It's God works his grace in us. Yes and amen. And we, by in turn, need to respond. We have agency. We, we don't just receive, thank you very much. We need to get ready and do something about it. Do you see how the two are kind of in tension here? I'll give you one more example of that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I'm, I'm preaching, I'm preaching for a while, but we're almost there. Thank you so much for your attention. Here we go. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this. Continue, Paul says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How, how much more on the nose can you be of your responsibility? Get your act together. Work out your faith in fear and trembling. A father-in-law pulls aside his young son-in-law, looks him dead in the eye and says, I'm trusting my, my baby girl to you. You better be faithful to her. Work out your faith with fear and trembling. Be ready to serve the Lord. That's on us. But then verse 13, for or because it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So work it out because God's already working it out in you. 
the Holy Spirit's here and present and working in your life. You can every day say, God, I can't do, I need your help to remain faithful. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel prone to leave the one I love. See, I'm not, I'm not singing, but you know it, right? Lord, take my heart and seal it, take it for the one above. That's on us. So it's God working his grace in you, but you have agency. You have responsibility. So wedding plans are canceled left and right. But one date is for certain. It's this date. It's the date of the glorious wedding feast of the Lamb, and you are invited. Can I, can I take a couple more minutes? Is that okay, everybody? Okay. Okay, true confession. Okay, I'm going to confess, everybody, right? We're going to confess. Confess! Here it is. 50 weddings. Okay, I, I was pretty green when I was starting out, so I'm going to confess this. I had a favorite passage of scripture for those weddings. <laughs> I went to a lot. So a lot of the weddings, maybe about half of them, I, I just went to my favorite passage of scripture for a wedding passage. And, and this is the last text we're going to look at. It's the book of Colossians. And I would have the bride and groom standing there, and I'd, I'd say to the bride, help just beautiful she looks on her special day. And then I turn to the guy and say, well, you clean up okay too. And I'll say, this is the only day in your lives that you will wear these special clothes. You'll never be dressed in a gorgeous white gown like this again. And, and, and if, unless you go to men's warehouse for a second time, you'll never wear a suit like this and have matching socks ever again. And then I say, in the same way, God calls us in the wedding vows to put on New clothing every single day. It's the clothing of, of Christ's righteousness, the characteristics, the attributes of God. And so I read it to them. It says, it says um, in verse 12, Colossians 3, I would read this to the church to, in a wedding. It's appropriate for us to end here. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Put on as those have been chosen, who've been made holy and beloved by God. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. We're talking about being ready. You're wondering, well, Pete, what does it mean to be ready? How can I be on guard? How can I be ready for what God wants for me? Here it is. Put on compassion, kindness, humility. Be meek. Be patient. Bear with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive one another. You guys are stuck in the same house, under the same roof with everybody. You're used to going away for at least eight hours a day. Now you're stuck together. Can we put this on? I'm not putting you on. Can you put this on? And above all, verse 14, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony. That's what it means to be ready. So my friends, I want you to respond. I want you to be ready. Today, and in the midst of this crisis, and really in the midst of this whole crazy thing we call life, we are on pilgrimage where we sing out and we cry out, Hosanna, save us. Save us, oh God, help us. And we're going to sing hallelujah on Easter Sunday, we will. But it's still not quite going to be the same as this, this day, the day that's yet to come. For now, we are called to fast and not feast. We're fasting right now 
from the Lord's Supper. This would have been the day we'd gather together in, in the presence of one another, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But we're not called right now to feast. We're not even on the stage today. We're called to fast, and that's very, very sad. But I'd invite you to take this as an opportunity to be single-minded in your pursuit of the living God, to make ready the opportunities that God will give to you and to our congregation to make much of his name to people in need so that when we come back together, and we'll find a way, we will figure something out for communion, but when we come back together, what a joyful celebration that will be. I hope you'll join with us uh, next week on Friday night at 7 o'clock. We have the Good Friday service with pastors from the whole region gathered together here. Uh, no more than 10, but we're going to gather to lead you in prayer on Good Friday at 7 p.m. And then Easter service right here on this channel at 1045 a.m. Let's pray. To you before your passion, they sang this, this hymn of praise. To you now high exalted, O Jesus, our melody we raise. As you receive the praises, accept the prayers we bring. For you delight in goodness, O good and gracious King. O Lord, you are a good and gracious King. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity on this Palm Sunday. Lord, I pray that people watching and listening right now would respond to your invitation. They'd say yes to Jesus. Say, Lord, I am a sinner. I confess my sin before you. I'm so thankful that you take people little and big, uh, small and great, bad or good. It doesn't matter. You sent out your servants to bring people in to your house. So, Lord, we want to receive you, ask for your forgiveness, and thank you for dying on the cross to save us from our sin. And Lord, for those of us that have been walking with you for a long time, we don't want to ignore your reminders, your invitations. You're wooing us back to yourself. I pray that we would be ready, oh God, in season and out of season, with a testimony, with a word, with an invitation to others to come and see the living God. Hosanna in the highest. Save us, oh God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.